0: morning my name is Phil I'm an elder here at first and um, please join me as we pray together Lord we come to you this morning to praise your holy name you are worthy of praise your greatness is unimaginable your works are amazing we celebrate your goodness we proclaim your righteousness Lord you are gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love You are good and your love endures forever. Your love to us endures forever. Your promises are true and we we depend on them. Lord, we want to follow you. Fill us with your spirit so that more and more we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fill us with your spirit so that more and more we can be merciful. Please be merciful to us. Fill us with your spirit so that we can be pure in heart. Help us to see you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit so that we can be peacemakers thank you lord for calling us your children lord you tell us that you will be near to all who call on you and we call on you this morning lord we call on you to be with betty groom it's been a difficult time for betty uh, learning of her diagnosis we we ask that you will be near to her and heal her be with her as she begins the work of appointments and treatments but lord we also pray for daughter Jackie as well, receiving a diagnosis. Lord, it's too much. Please be with them, be with Jackie and the team of doctors and nurses who will, who will work with her. Surround this family with your obvious presence, Lord. Lord, some of us are feeling poor in spirit this morning, feeling bowed down. Lift us up, Lord. Some of us are mourning and grieving, comfort us. Some of us are sick and have been for a while. Heal us, Lord. Some of us have doctor's appointments in the near future that we're concerned about. Be with us, Lord. Some of us have people in our lives who, for some reason or another, we have not talked with in a while. Please help us reconcile, Lord. Lord, you gave us a new commandment to love one another as you have loved us. Give us your spirit so that we can do this more perfectly every day. Lord, be with us as a congregation as we seek to line up our priorities with your will. Be with us as we visit together, as we talk about generous stewardship, as we seek to live in accordance with your will. Be with us as we determine how best to fill our ministry needs. Be with us as we think about the discipleship of the congregation, both young and old alike. Be with our children. Be with those who would love to have come here today but cannot, maybe because of health or distance. We thank you, Lord, today that we live in a country where we can have a peaceful transition of government and power. We ask that you will be with our new leaders, the new parliament. Please be with Prime Minister-Elect Trudeau, bless him as he makes important decisions about a cabinet. Be with him as he selects priorities and makes legislative agendas. We pray that this government will be a tool for your justice. Lord, we ask that you will be the the hundreds of Christian school teachers who will be gathering together for their annual convention this week at Redeemer. Encourage them as they attend workshops and listen to speakers. Give them a renewed sense of strength and energy to do the very important job that you've called them to do. We also, Lord, pray for the university students and college students among us who are likely in the middle of midterms and important projects at this time of year. Give them peace and give them wisdom in, in what they need to do as well. Lord, we, we praise you this morning with the Schott family for the safe arrival of a baby girl. What a gift. Please be with them, Lord. We thank you for all the birthdays that we see in the in the bulletin today for this week. Thank you, Lord, for these gifts and your faithfulness. We want to lift up, Lord, Calvary CRC and Living Word Ministries. Please bless these ministries. Be with the people there. And now, Lord, we ask that you'll be with us as we hear your word. Thank you that we can be fed through your word today, also through communion today. Thank you, Lord, for being our sure comfort and hope in this life and in the life everlasting. We pray all this in your name. Amen.
1: The scripture reading today is from Ephesians 1, 1, 15 to 23, and it's on page 1818. For this reason, even se- ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead Thanks, Owen.
2: We're in this, this second half of, of Ephesians chapter 1, and, and before we, we dive into this text, I, I simply want to very quickly kind of remind us of, of what we talked about last week. Last week we began with, with Paul's intro to the letter of, of Ephesians where he's saying, Paul, an apostle by the will of God, God's will, and he, he begins this letter by saying, essentially, to the people of Ephesus, God's still active in the world. God is still at work. Which was fascinating to the people of Ephesus, who were convinced that the gods were off at a distance somehow, and, and the, we as, as people had to do things to get the attention of the gods. And here Paul's saying, no. God's attention is already on you. In fact, God is already actively at work in the world. And then as Paul begins to, to really write the letter itself, he, he describes how on God's own initiative, God has adopted us to sonship. He's wrapped us into his family and said, you belong to me no matter what. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are part of my family. I've got you. And then he adds to it language of God lavishes his love upon us, his mercy upon us. There's this overflowing sense of God's goodness. Not an angry God. Not a God who's waiting for us to appease him or give him the right sacrifice or or somehow make ourselves acceptable. But a God who out of his own character says, I love you and I choose you to be mine. And then we notice at the end of this how, how in that, that working to draw us to himself, God relays his purposes. and Not just to take us to heaven to be with him, but that in Jesus Christ and in reconciling us as his people, God is beginning a work to unite all things in heaven and on earth to himself in Christ. God is doing something that is going to impact the whole universe, not just us as individuals. And and so as we read this second part of chapter 1, as we enter into this, it it is really Paul responding to what he's just described. God active in the world. God loving us and lavishing his love upon us. God working in such a way in Christ to unite all things in heaven and on earth. And then Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, I remember you with thanksgiving. It's amazing, isn't it? Paul's response to catching this grand vision, this grand plan of God, is to look at the people of God and say, I'm thankful for you. How many of us have that response when we come to church? I mean, sometimes we do. Sometimes we are delighted to be here and we just can't wait to see the others who are part of the church. But sometimes we come here and we go, "Eh, I better sit over here today because I don't want to sit next to them. And they always sit in that spot. And we kind of grumble and mumble and we, we find ways of avoiding each other and not making eye contact with each other. We have a history in the church that's marked not just inside a particular congregation by division, but a history of churches that have turned against each other and walked away from each other. We sang at the beginning, way, way at the beginning, Almighty Fortress is our God. And, and we sang that because today is Reformation Sunday, the time where the Reformed churches in the world remember how we have, have rediscovered together God's grace and the, the sanctity of Scripture and that, that God's authority is really expressed through Scripture, not through human doctrines and creeds. It is, comes to us through God's Word. And that we are saved by God's grace in Christ alone, not by our works. Very fitting to be in the book of Ephesians right now. But that Reformation celebration has so often been a celebration of how we are divided and not like those others the church throughout its history and celebrating the Reformation and the rediscovery of God's grace has said yeah we got it right and they don't got it yet and there's been a lot of finger pointing and distancing ourselves from others instead of thankfulness and gratitude there's been grumbling and demeaning and pushing away yet this text Paul's example is to say, in the presence of God's grace, in catching a glimpse of how good and lavish God's love is, our first response is to say, I'm thankful that you are part of the body of Christ. What an incredible posture Paul puts us in this incredible posture of gratitude, it's as if he's saying, folks, if we want to understand God's grace, if we want to experience God's grace, if we want this heavenly reality to be something that we live and breathe, our first response towards each other needs to be one of deep gratitude. I'm thankful you are here. I wonder what our community would look like inside this congregation if our first response and our first thought about others was, I'm thankful you are here. I'm so delighted that God has wrapped you into His body. I wonder, how would that impact us? I wonder, how would the world around us begin to see the church? If the church, instead of complaining and grumbling about each other and bickering and fighting between denominations and divisions, all of a sudden had this posture of, we are delighted that they too call on the name of Jesus Christ. That they too are wrapped into the body of Christ. We are thankful. In a few minutes, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And and one of the historic names for the Lord's Supper is Eucharist. Literally, good grace. Good graces. But it, it came early on in the church to mean Thanksgiving. The Eucharist meal is a meal of thanksgiving. What if not just the meal was a meal of thanksgiving? but we, as the body of Christ, were a people of thanksgiving. And not just on Thanksgiving Day or on New Year's Day when we pass the microphone around and encourage each other, but week in and week out, day in and day out, inside our church and in interactions with other Christians, our posture, our posture was, I'm thankful you are part of the body of Christ. That's where Paul begins. But he deepens from this posture of thanksgiving. He, he adds another layer to it. He says, I keep asking. In other words, I keep praying for you. In this, this context of thanksgiving, I'm praying for you. It's the framing of the word. We're trying to understand it in English by adding the word, I keep asking. It's, I ask in an ongoing way. It is, it is a constant prayer of mine. That you might have power and revelation. That you might have the spirit of revelation. That, in other words, that God might make known to you. That God might, might help you to see what I'm really talking about. And, and, and the prayer is not just a prayer in an abstract sense, it is it's a specific prayer that goes with it. I keep praying for you in the spirit of thanksgiving that you might know Him better. You know, we prayed for Betty this morning. And we prayed for her daughter, Jackie. And, and we should keep praying for healing. And we should, in the midst of this, keep praying that the doctors and nurses and medical team would have wisdom on how to treat them. But there's an underlying prayer that this text calls us to. That Lord, in the midst of their circumstances in the midst of facing something as atrocious as cancer, that we would pray that Betty and her daughter Jackie might know you better. That they might come to know you better. And when we celebrate marriages that have lasted 50 and 60 years, which we do in this congregation, and we should continue to name those moments That it's not just, Lord, thank you that they've been married 60 years, but thank you that they've been married 60 years. And in this 61st year, may they come to know you better. If we really take this Reformation Sunday and the the impetus that the Reformation launched, this is the heart of it. That in response to God's grace, we would be thankful and delighted that others have been wrapped into the body of Christ. And in that thanksgiving, that we would continue to pray for each other. That each of us would come to know God better. I wonder, too, how that might change our prayers. Instead so Lord, change their attitude because they're really bugging me. Instead of praying for our our co-workers who say they're a Christian and then go all do, do all sorts of things that sometimes stab us in the back. Instead of praying in anger and frustration about them, praying, Lord, in the midst of this brokenness that we're experiencing in our relationship, may we both come to know you better. And what if our driving prayer For for the whole church in the good and the bad was this underlying current of in thanksgiving, Lord, may each person come to know you better. Uh, That really is what we're about to celebrate here. We're about to taste the bread and, and to taste that cup and be reminded of God's incredible grace, but it's supposed to be a reminder that invites us deeper in, deeper in to know Jesus Christ more, to know the extent of his lavish love for us. One of the next phrases as Paul continues to describe this prayer is to pray that the eyes of our hearts might be open. There's two texts we've paralleled in this service, and, and you may have caught it, you might not have, but, but we, we read Revelation 4 as the opening call to worship here and, and the description that was in Revelation 4 of, of the new heaven and, and surrounded around this throne room and the angels there and the living creatures. And we also read during our time of confession the passage of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah enters into that same throne room and hears the same song being sung. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That refrain that echoes throughout eternity in God's presence. But there is something unique in these passages. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go to, to Refresh and Renew. It's a, a worship conference that, that Redeemer puts on each fall. And, and Carolyn Aarons was talking, and she put these two texts up next to each other and showed how they are incredibly similar. All sorts of things that are the same. The living creatures, the having six wings, and, and being in God's presence, and the thrones there, and, and the sense of, of thunder pealing that's going on. But then she started pointing out the difference. In Isaiah 6... The, the creatures are flying, and with two wings, they're covering their faces so they can't see God. God's holiness is too much, and they're covering their feet. They they're need to cover themselves as much as they can. And there's a holiness of that moment that leads Isaiah to cry out, Woe is me! Literally in the, in the Hebrew, I am undone. I am completely under it as if I have been uncreated in the presence of God's holiness His holiness is too much for us to look at but the Revelation passage has a different take on it 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 describes those same creatures with six wings but then it says they have eyes all over their wings and then it repeats it again and says even under their wings there are eyes their eyes are open they're open and and Carolyn said something happened between Isaiah's time in the throne room of God and the revelation period where John is in that same throne room and part of how we see that something radical has happened is that the angels who are in God's presence from eternity to eternity, now can have their eyes open in the presence of God's holiness. And John can enter in, not with woe is me, but with how wonderful God is. Caught up in this grand vision that he is able to see and witness without fear. Carolyn points to the next chapter in Revelation, Revelation 5, where it describes the Lamb of God who has been slain. And that Lamb of God being our refuge, our shelter, our freedom in the presence of God, that somehow Paul is praying in this text, may you experience The transition that Isaiah did and the angels that Isaiah had where it went from closed eyes before God where God is too much for us to take in to the place John will be where we can have our eyes open in God's presence. Fear wiped out. Threat wiped out. Sin wiped out. Paul's prayer in thanksgiving, in this ongoing sense that we may know him better, is essentially saying, may you be able to live in God's presence with eyes wide open. May you be able to come before God in the spirit of thanksgiving for each other. Wrapped in God's grace in such a way that you pray and long that each person would come to know him better. And may that happen in such a way that when you come before God, your eyes are wide open. Because you no longer fear punishment. Because you no longer fear being undone. Because you no longer fear the sin that you have encountered and that you have committed. Because in Christ Jesus, you have been wrapped in to God's kingdom and God's presence. He adds a little bit more to this. He describes the riches of God's grace and then he says, The power, may the power be with you. The power of God that you may know the power of God of God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul's prayer, this context of thanksgiving, this context of ongoing prayer for each other that each of us may know God better, this this being brought into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies with eyes wide open so that we would experience the power of the resurrection in our lives. We need to recognize and pause for a moment here. Because the the people Paul is writing this to are people who have spent their financial resources on acquiring spells and scrolls that will help them access God. The use of mediums and, and people that they could go to and consult and have their tarot cards read was all over the place in the city of Ephesus. And they had idol worship in one of the biggest businesses in the city of Ephesus, something they were known for throughout the Roman Empire was creating idols. The silversmith industry was thriving in Ephesus. And in the midst of this, Paul's saying, you have not needed to do a thing. All those efforts that you've been doing to try and reach God and attain the power of God for yourself and, and find some way to be acceptable for God, all those efforts you have been doing, they're for nothing. Because God has been coming to you. And God has already been doing the work you never could do to, to bring you to God to make you acceptable to God, to usher you into God's very presence, and on top of that, to give you the power of God. God's power might be alive with you without you having to do anything to buy it, to earn it, to manipulate it, to control it, to find some incantation to make it acceptable. God in Jesus Christ has made his power available to you, here and now. It's an incredible message. One that is is full of grace for us. One where God says, instead of hiding from you, I'm, I'm revealing myself to you. Instead of remaining at a distance, I'm drawing near to you. God, in Jesus Christ, Making himself known. The end of this passage end of this passage adds something that's somewhat scary. <laughs> because it's not that just God with the authority of Jesus Christ up in the heavenly realms has all the power and all the authority. He adds this. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, being Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. But then he describes the church this way. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul will pick up on this more in the the next section in chapter 2 when we read that. So we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit next week. But that power is not abstract out there somewhere. God has taken the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and placed Him among His people. Part of the Reformation's emphasis is that we get to know God personally. And there is a huge emphasis on the personal forgiveness of sins, which is absolutely correct. We personally can experience God's forgiveness something that seemed to be distant from a lot of people in the way they understood Scripture at the time of the Reformation. But in focusing on the individual, it's kind of we miss some sense of, of the communal reality of God's people. We became isolated Christians and, and began a trajectory where we tend to think of ourselves first and sometimes of ourselves Only. Part of what Paul's saying here is that together, as God's people gathered together, all of us together, Christ is living in the fullness of who he is among us here and now. Christ is alive. That resurrection power that raised him from the dead is also causing Jesus Christ to live in the midst of us It's no longer just me and God which was the practice in the Ephesus church or Ephesus as a city. How can I get right with God? It is all of us together, gathered together, experiencing the presence of Christ living in our midst. And at once that is incredibly comforting. Christ in you and Christ in you in me. But it's also kind of scary. It's kind of scary because that means we have to be humble enough to see Christ in the person sitting next to us. We need to be humble enough to see Christ in the person we haven't gotten along with for years. We need to be humble enough in this space to look each other in the face and say, I see Christ in you. And in doing so, to also receive from others and have them name to us that they see Christ in us. And both those things are hard for us to do. It involves a level of intimacy and care for each other that we're not accustomed to. It means that the way we love each other, the way we treat each other, all of a sudden takes top priority. Because we can't experience the grace of Christ if we are not also passing that grace and that love to each other. This meal that we're about to take is a meal of incredible thanksgiving. Incredible thanksgiving because we are welcomed into God's presence. But it is a meal that uh, challenges us as well. It's a meal that does not leave us the same. It's a meal that in the context of that grace, calls us to become a people who are thankful for each other calls us to become a people who pray for each other continually saying Lord may you make yourself known may they come to know you more and more may I come to know you more and more through them and they through me that somehow together this this person of Christ and the power of the resurrection that is in Christ might become evident and experienced among us. The way we receive the love from God and the way we in turn love God has everything to do with the way we learn to receive and love Christ in and through each other. This meal is a meal of great cost. Not because we have anything we can pay to reconcile ourselves with God. But it's a meal of great cost because in Christ, God is not only reconciling us with him, but he is calling us to be reconciled with each other. Let's pray. You are the God of the resurrection life. A power that is above every power in heaven and on earth. An authority in Christ that exceeds all worldly and spiritual authorities that we could ever imagine. You are holy and yet in Christ you have ushered us into your very throne room and allowed us with eyes wide open to see and experience your love and your grace. May that majesty, uh, the majesty of seeing your love for for what it really is and for you, for who you really are, may that flow through us in thanksgiving for each other in delight that you are continuing to wrap people into your body. Help us, Lord, to love one another. That your resurrection life may be so clearly evident in us. That your resurrection power may live within us. That Jesus Christ himself might dwell in this community and among your church throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite us in response to sing together, lift high the cross of Christ. We'll sing verses 1, 3, 4, and 6.